Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm talking today to Victoria Jennings. Victoria has been in education all her life and she specialised particularly in teaching young adults and older adults into trades and businesses. She's worked in close contact with Roger Hamilton. She's co-authored a book with Jack Canfield. She's led an extraordinary life and the next thing she wants to do is create a course in entrepreneurialism for our year 11 and 12 students. Here we go. I'm here. Fantastic. Well, I actually want to talk about two things. And I was awake in the middle of the night thinking about the second one. But first of all, I want to find, so the purpose of it is to find out about you because you've got a really fascinating story. And the other thing that I really wanted to talk to you about as well is entrepreneurialism in Australia. Sure. And the reason is my youngest daughter went to Columbia on exchange last year. And Uh stayed with a very wealthy family at a very nice school, one of the top schools in Colombia. And she came home and she's like, mum, they just all make money all the time. All the kids at school are just creating ways of making money. The father of the family she was staying with went to the dentist and came home with a new business that had nothing to do with dentistry or or construction (laughs) or anything. (laughs) Yeah. And she said, that's the way they think. They sit at the table every night and they're talking about, you know, new ideas, new ventures, new entrepreneurial things. So she came back buzzing. But after a few months of being in Australia, it's all disappeared because that's not our culture and society. Well, I can tell you why too. Oh, please, um, go for it. The reason that happens is because, you know, we have a, I use a profiling tool for um, entrepreneurs and for their teams, right? And it's not only people that have profiles, countries and states have profiles too. So Australia is actually very steel. It's all about regulation and compliance and so it's, um, it's very slow energy and it's, it's very much about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So you don't get that that same entrepreneurial spirit. Also in Australia, we've got going on is the tall poppy syndrome. So it's not a good thing to stand out. It's not a good thing to be successful. You know, it's better for you to blend in and be mediocre. All right. And that's ingrained into us from school. So um, it's very interesting. But when you go like, that's why I love California, because California is a creator profile as a state, which and I'm a creator. So when I go to California and creators are about big ideas, new ideas, coming up with ideas all the time, very entrepreneurial, very strategic, looking at five years ahead is easy, right? Um, when I go there, I'm in my element because everyone's the same. And they have those conversations like whenever you go out to dinner, in, to the doctors, to the whatever, they're all talking about business. And they're all trying to find other opportunities, which is similar to what you just said about what you, your, your, that person has, has experienced in Brazil. In Brazil? In Brazil. Colombia. Sorry. Close. Good. Close. <laughs> same, same area. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so that must mean, and, and, and I would say it would be true, that Colombia would therefore also be a creator country. That is why they would be like that. So, yes, it's part of the culture, but it's also part of the profile. 
explain those profiles to me because I did one of these the other day and I'm a creator too, but just explain um, exactly what it is and what it, uh, yeah, and what it shows. Okay, so these profiles have been around for years and years and years, you know, and there's, there's various number of them out there and they're all great because they all give us a better understanding of ourselves. So I want to say that first of all. But, <laughs> but uh, the profile that we use, I have, I have never experienced in all my life in corporate and in government and everywhere else that I've been where we've done profiles. It's been about personality traits. This is the only one that actually relates to the tasks that you undertake at work. Now, you can use it as well in relationships and everything else too but it's really, really specific about the tasks you undertake at work and where you really fit in in a business, uh, whether you're the owner or whether you're part of the team, doesn't matter. That's what I love about this. So, okay, there's four, we call them frequencies, that can be measured within each of us and all of them are based on four. So you see DISC has got four colours and MBTI, they have four as well, but it's divided down to 16. It's really complex. Um, so there are various degrees of complexity that's another reason I love this it's so simple once you learn the eight profiles you know everything about everybody and in all my years of using it since 2006 I've never met met a ninth profile like I just haven't everyone has fit into one of the eight so the energies are we we have dynamo which is all about big picture thinking where all ideas spring from now everyone has ideas I'm not saying that everyone does but dynamo has them on steroids they're the people that go to bed at night and 2 a.m. wake up with a brilliant idea, whether it's to solve a problem that happened that day or, you know, they wake up with the answer subconsciously. So their brain never shuts down. They love to start things, but they're not so great at completing things. They're really, really good at a five-year strategic plan, but hopeless at what they're going to do today, you know. So they're, they're not detail-focused, okay. They're big, big, big picture. So they have the eagle-eye view but they're not down on the ground, okay? So that's cool. And then we've got uh, another um, frequency called Blaze, and they're the people people. So they love to be around people all the time. They, um, if you think about summer in Australia, you know, it's they love to go down to the beach, have a barbecue, have all these people around them, and the more people that are around them, the more energised they become. And they really understand who's best at doing what in an organisation, and they do that innately. And they're really good at connecting. They're really great at marketing. They're really great at sales. They're the out there people. And then we've got another one called Tempo Frequency. And they're really grounded people. So they're opposite to Dynamo. So Dynamo is big picture and flying like an eagle. Tempo is down on the ground looking at the detail. And, and they're great with timing. They're everything about timing. So they have a schedule for everything. They have a checklist for everything. And they really get excited about ticking it all off at the end of the day that they've done all those tasks. So they're great to have around a creator, the dynamo people, because they actually get shit done. And then we've got uh, the frequency of steel and they're all about systems and processes. So they're the real detailed people. It's a lot slower frequency because they look at everything, they analyse everything from every angle. They won't make a move until they're completely happy with that. They need a lot of certainty before they'll go ahead, you know, and so that's all of the compliance and the legislation and accounting and science, maths, all comes from steel. 
you know, making sure that we're actually making a profit. The and analytics of that is steel. So in a business, we need all four because if we don't have all four, we're going, we're going to be unstable. We, we're going to have issues and we all come from one of those four perspectives, which is dangerous because when you're a business owner and you're only coming from Dynamo, for example, what we, I'm Dynamo as well, I'm a creator as well, right? We're only coming from Dynamo. We're going to have so many ideas and so many new businesses, but we're never, ever going to complete anything. And if we recruit people, we're going to recruit people the same as us. So we'll have all these wonderful people, have brainstorms all the time, but we'll get nothing done. So when you understand this, and the, and the four frequencies are measured, so there's um, 25 questions in the tool that we use worth 4% each, and that's how you come out as a creator or a star or a supporter or whatever. So there's the four frequencies that are measured, and then out of those four comes eight profiles. So I've already described four profiles to you. So Dynamo, I've described the creator. Um, Blaze, I've described the supporter. Tempo, I've described the trader. And Steel, I've described the Lord. And then there's four others that are an integration of two frequencies. So Dynamo and Blaze makes a star. Blaze and Tempo makes a deal maker. Tempo and Steel makes an accumulator. And Steel and Dynamo makes a mechanic. And they're the eight profiles. And when you know this new family system, it changes everything. I have two sons. One is a supporter profile. One is a Lord profile. Talk about chalk and cheese. And they were chalk and cheese growing up. We also have a tool for kids, which is really handy, which I wish I had would have had when they were a lot younger. You know, I was always worried about the introvert, not worried about the extrovert, because everyone seems to think that we should all be extroverts and we should all be great at talking in public and we should, you know, and it's rubbish. It's, it's total rubbish. We all should be who we are and not be forced to be who we're not. And what happens in traditional human resource management is we're forced to be who we're not. We're forced to be good at everything but not excel in any one area. So we end up creating mediocre businesses. So what I'm into, what I'm all about is creating genius businesses. So everyone works in their genius area as much as possible. Your profile's not an excuse, right? You have to suck up and do whatever you have to do, especially when you're starting out a business. You've got to do things that are not in your natural talent area. But as your business grows, you can make sure everybody's only working on their natural talent area and you can recruit the right people so you're not recruiting yourself over and over and over again. You're recruiting people who will complement you and get things done. And there are three people you need to recruit depending on your profile, there are always three. There's a rule of three. And when you recruit those three people, you cover all eight profiles with what we call secondary profiles. So we've all got secondary profiles as well and we can step into those for 20% of the time and that's okay as long as we're not trying to do it 100% of the time. Because when you're doing something 100% of the time that's not in your natural talent and not where you naturally flow, you actually burn out and we don't want people doing that silicon valley at the moment is full of people who are burning out the reason is because they're all trying to be steel because everything to do with um website and now you know the, the analytics all of the back end of what they do in silicon valley is all steel stuff 
But because that's where the money is and because that's where the opportunities are, everyone's trying to get on that wagon and it's not their natural talent. So they're very sick. So what happens, because I, I had a job for eight years that I hated and I couldn't understand because the, the organisation I worked for was lovely, the people were beautiful, I felt very privileged to have that role, but the role was killing me and it was completely opposite of who I am. It was a tempo role. I looked after 33 committees. It was all about timing. I'm not about timing. I'm the opposite to that. So what happens if you keep doing that, that ends up being cancer. That ends up being a stroke. That ends up being a heart attack. So it's really important that we find our natural talent, our natural flow of life and stick with that as much as possible. So then when you've got a team, what you do then is you have projects. Everything in my business is project-based and the team sits down with their profiles on the wall, their graph on the wall, and we determine who's best at doing what and they work across projects only in their strength area. So there's no job description. We don't do job descriptions. They are talented in a certain area and they stick to that within the projects. You might have five projects and one person's working across three of them, but they'll be doing most of their work all the time, all the time as much as possible in their natural talented area. And what happens is when I implemented that in my company, we doubled our revenue in six months just because we had the right people in the right positions doing the right things. And when I first did it, no one was in the right position except me. <laughs> I was going to say to you, you know, looking across the workforce in general and in your background, and I do want to ask you what your background is that's kind of led you to this place where you are now. From your experience, what percentage of people would you say are in the wrong position for their, um, their strengths? 90%, I would say. It's really common. It's really common. And Wherever you procrastinate is where you're out of flow. So wherever you tend to procrastinate, you should delegate or outsource because it's not your natural talent. Because when it's your natural talent, it's completely in alignment with your passion. Always, always and forever. I've never seen anything different. And when you're doing what you're passionate about, you never procrastinate about that. You just get on with it. So how did you end up doing this? What led you to this? I've got, um, I've got a hell of a career that has led me, every step of my career led me to this, led me to where I am today. So I started out as a secretary and didn't enjoy it. So I took myself off to TAFE and I did a legal secretarial course because I thought I could become an article clerk because I quite enjoyed law argument of law, convincing people. I love to convince. I love to um, inspire, That's you know, and that's, that's a creative thing. So I thought that would be a good idea. So I, I enrolled in this course. Anyway, my teacher was really taken with my experience, my background, and so she said, have you ever thought about teaching adults? And I said, no, I've often thought about I wanted to be a teacher of kids, but it requires, you know, to take four years out and I, I can't see how I'm ever going to do that. And um, she said, oh, well, there's, a, there's an open day at Griffith University. Why don't you go and have a look at it? Because she said, I think you'd be brilliant at teaching. 
Okay, so I did, took myself off. And this uh, was a Bachelor of Adult and Vocational Teaching and it could be done part-time. And I had two little kids at the time. It could be done part-time. I knew of no other teaching program you could do part-time. So I had a two-week residency and the rest of it was correspondence. And I thought, oh, this sounds brilliant. So I enrolled <laughs> straight away and went back to tell my teacher about it and then she gave me my first teaching position at Malcolm TAFE. And she took me under, my, under her wing and mentored me, basically, uh, while I was doing my degree. So then I was always one that would put up my hand and say, yeah, I'll try this, I'll try that. So I ended up writing um, national material for Australia in the business area. And then I, I was invited. I've always been invited. It's so funny. I, I was invited to apply for a position to implement what we now call school-based apprenticeships throughout Queensland. And I won that and um, I was project manager of that. So we worked with high school teachers across the three sectors, so independent, Catholic ed and public, dual sectors. I worked with grade 11 and 12 teachers and we upskilled them so they could be part of the vocational education system across eight industry areas. It was a phenomenal project that I was involved in. Loved it. And then because of that, I was working on with universities and unions and all sorts of people. Because of that, I was then invited to go into the Department of Education, Small Business and Training is, is what it's called now. And I was in, they wanted me to go there and, and accredit courses. So I did that. I went over there and I did that. And then I was working with registered training organisations and doing their registrations and things like that. And as a result of that, I got invited by industry, you know, would I be interested in babysitting the manufacturing and engineering sector as it was an industry training advisory body? Would I do it for 12 months while the incumbent was setting up an apprenticeship centre as we know today? So I did. So I went into a very male-dominated area and I looked after 8,000 small businesses throughout Queensland in manufacturing and engineering for their training, um, their training needs. So that was, that was a lot of fun, very different and very masculine world and that taught me a, a lot. And then after that I thought, wow, I know a whole lot about vocational education and training. I've seen it from the public sector, I've seen it from education and I've seen it from the department and now I've seen it from industry. This is pretty cool. I think I could consult now because I've seen it from all these different perspectives. And, and we're talking about years. This took years and years and years, right? So I applied for my first consultancy job, which was with the Australian National Training Authority, and they wanted to develop um, training packages were starting to come out, which was new, and they wanted to develop a course for Australia on how to take curriculum designers from curriculum design paradigm to training package design paradigm. And I won that tender. And I rolled that out throughout Australia. So I rolled out the vocational education training system we know today. I was responsible for rolling that out throughout the country. So that was kind of fun. And then I thought, hmm, what can I do next? So I did some lecturing at um, Queensland University of Technology in adult education. And I lectured at undergrad and postgrad level. Loved that. Had a lot of fun. Then they wanted me to come on board on the faculty full-time and wanted me to do a PhD. 
So I enrolled in a PhD and then I got a divorce six months in and I could no longer do the PhD. It was impossible going through that divorce. So that was a very interesting time too. And then with my divorce, it was really fun because the bank divorced me as well. So I'd started my own business and my ex-husband's family was very high up in the bank. Like they, were, they had their own um, family business and it was very successful. So, you know, they were look, looked after very, very well. And because they were looked after very, very well, they gave me an overdraft, right, because of who I was attached to. But when I got divorced, they took the overdraft away from me. So I'm like, oh. So I got all these credit cards and that's how I kept the business going with all these credit cards because that's all I could do at that time. It was so funny. It's very much a female thing. If I'd been a, ma- a male, it wouldn't have happened. But when you're a female, this, going back then, these sorts of things used to happen. I think they're still a bit hard with finances. Anyway, so um, I did that and then I started to teach with a partner. So I used another registered training organisation to run my business through because I didn't want to be a registered training organisation because I'd seen it from government. I thought you'd have to have rocks in your head to ever be in that business. So I was partnering with someone else. But I got so busy I was doing the training and the marketing. I was doing everything. The admin, the whole lot. Was, I was a one-man band, just in business studies. And um, very successful. Anyway, my partner said, you're getting too big for me. I can't support you anymore, administratively speaking. You're going to have to go out on your own. So I was actually forced to becoming my own registered training organisation. So that's what happened. So I started IPS Institute. And then I ran into this character called Roger Hamilton and found out all about wealth dynamics and I used the wealth dynamics model in my business. So I I started my business around the same time I met met Roger, my college, and I was using his strategies to implement into my business to grow it very successfully. But at that time, we didn't have a tool for the team. We only had tools for entrepreneurs. And so in 2012, he bought out a tool for the team And I put my hand up because I love his work so much. And I put my hand up and said, I'd love to roll this out throughout Australia. So he let me do that. And so I I became a global partner and I implemented it straight away in my my business because we couldn't implement. One's teaching you about how to have a business and how to grow your wealth. And the other one is teaching you about how to be a team member and how to work within the team and how to leverage your talent in the team. Okay, so they're slightly different. But if you're a creator in wealth dynamics, you're a creator in talent dynamics, you, your profile doesn't change. So anyway, so I did that. I did that quite successfully. I travelled around Australia with Roger on stage, talking about talent dynamics and everything, had a, had a ball, had a great time, started to work with businesses and their teams, really enjoyed that. That was so much fun. And meanwhile, I'm growing my, growing my own college so that I could step more and more out of it. So I created another business at that, at that point, spent more time in it, which was Dynamic Academy. And had a whole lot of fun there. Fast forward to today, I've built my business now so that I don't have to be in it. So I do two meetings a week. I do whatever I want, actually. I don't even have to turn up for them if I didn't want to. But anyway, I do. But I can do that from anywhere in the world, which is really great. And that's because of the team that I've built and the trust that we've built. You've got to have high trust to do that. And what we do builds trust as well. And so now I get to, to do whatever I like. 
I was a bit lost for a little while and I felt really guilty for a while about having all this free time, you know, and still having a great income. So I had to get over that myself and that took quite a while because actually I stayed at work for a year pretending I was busy because I had nothing to do. I delegated everything and, and I'd also duplicated myself so that I could get out. But I felt guilty about getting out. So it was so interesting. Anyway, so now fast forward to now and what I love to do is to work with businesses, business owners in how to implement that in their team so they can get out too. And that means you have total freedom. So it, it gives you a pension for life if that's what you want to have. It gives you a business that you can sell. And I've had two investors snipping around my business wanting to buy me out just recently. So you can do that. You can exit that way. Or you can build other businesses because you've got all this time or you can just be on the beach like I am today and just enjoy whatever you want to enjoy and just be. I mean, I've been doing a lot of just being lately and I really have really enjoyed that, not having to have goals, not having to, you know, my biggest goal is will I get out of bed now or will I wait another half hour? <laughs> but I'm enjoying that and I know that I'll get bored with that soon, I will. But I'm really enjoying that right now. And I'm having, you know, meeting friends for lunch and doing all those lovely things, having my meetings on Monday. And that's what I do. So I'm very blessed and I feel very grateful. And I'd love other people to have, have this knowledge too so that they can do it as well. Let's have a bit of a timeline here because what I couldn't figure out when you were talking were dates. So when did you get divorced? What year was that? Oh, that's a really good question. I can't even remember. Two, 2001. Right, okay. Yeah. And at which point did you work in the States? 2014. The business had already got to the point where it didn't need me, but I was feeling guilty <laughs> about it not needing me. So that was when I decided to go to the States and take Dynamic Academy to California. So for that two and a half years, I just played in IPS I really didn't do much at all and didn't have to. And I was fully playing in Dynamic Academy, which was a lot of fun. And it was so much fun being in Silicon Valley. You know, I had a ball and there was a man attached to all of that too, of course, which was also a lot of fun. He was American and that was great and that was the reason we went there. And I wouldn't have gone there without him. And I'm about to go back there now. He and I are no longer, but, but I now know that I can go over there and I've got confidence to do that. I've got confidence to live there, you know, all of that, thanks to him because he introduced me to something that I would never have done on my own. Which was? To go to another country and to start a business in another country. So all the market research is done now and I know that it will work over there. So now that I'm ready to, that's the next, that's the next step for me. And what will you do when you go over there? What, are you going to set up another business? Are you going to do like the wealth dynamics thing again or well, what are you doing? Yeah, I'll be doing, I'll be doing that. I'll be working with business owners and, and their teams and, and helping them get out of their business. That's what I want to do. Silicon Valley needs a lot of help with their teams because a lot of them are doing things that they shouldn't be doing and they're getting sick. We've got a very sick workforce right now and I know we could turn that around and change that. You know, even I, I visited Google and the way they've set up Google is all for Dynamo and Blaze and most of their employees would be steel and it would be killing them. 
because it's all open environments and lots of conversation, which is great for Dynamo and Blaze, but it's terrible for Steel. Steel need to be in their own rooms. Steel need to close the door. Steel needs to concentrate. So what happens is they've got those little um, cubic, those little chairs they can go into. It's like a little bubble. So all the steel people steal those chairs with their laptop and do their work in them so that they can block out everything else that's going on. So it's really, really interesting. You know, you need different environments for the different frequencies for them to work at their optimum level as well. So in my business, you don't, you don't get an office because of your seniority or your level of management. You get an office based on your profile. So our steel people have all got an office because that's how they work best. And then we have our brainstorm area for the, the Dynamo and Blaze people and, you know, and the Tempo people. They love to work in an open plan office because they love connection with others. So it's really important, you know, even how you design your office is really, really important so that you'll get the best out of everyone. And everyone loves to come to work because they're working how they love to work. The environment matches that matches their profile and everything so it works well and we don't make any of the steel people come to social events <laughs> because they hate it <laughs> the last thing they want to do is hang around with people <laughs> they want to do their job and go home but when you know that and you understand that and you allow that then everyone is is happy and no one has to have an excuse you know, you don't need excuses because we just know, know the makeup of everyone. Going back to what we started talking about, about mm -hmm. on a country level, Australia isn't, it's not entrepreneurial. It's, which one is it? Steel it's, or? It's steel now. It used to be a trader, like about 15 years ago, it was a trader. And countries do change because they have different, different political ideologies in, in power. So countries do change their profile. People don't, but countries can, depending on who's in charge. So we used to be a trader because we used to be in farming. So it was all about nature. It was all about nurturing. It was all about the land, you know, and what we could grow was very much in the And we had a manufacturing base too. We were more traders than anything else. But now we've just become completely red tape. It, we, there's there's layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of red tape now in this country, and that is steel. So it's it's all about legislation. It's all about compliance. You know, we've we've over we've got so much compliance in every industry. It's ridiculous to the point where it actually makes it almost impossible to make money. So very steel at the moment. Yeah. But even the nature of our society, even looking back, you know, hundreds of years, and because coming from the UK, you know, it's very similar to the UK. I don't think our ancestry as a society has ever been entrepreneurial. I think they were when they conquered all the other countries around them. Oh, quite possibly, yeah. They saw opportunities. They went out and got them. Well, they took them, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Yeah, now we want this one. That's it. We're having it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think they were, but I think they've lost a lot of that. Um, and how how do you then grow as an entrepreneurial kind of person in this kind of society? 
Well, you do things that you want to do in your way and because I'm, because I'm a creator profile, I'll look at the legislation and see how I can bend it to suit my needs and to suit what I want to do because the legislation is usually completely in opposition to what you need to do or what the client actually needs, you know. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't. And because I work in government, I, I know how I can do that too. So I'm not breaking them, but I'm, I'm bending them and I'm, I'm pushing them a little bit where, where I believe they need to be because it's, it's actually detrimental to the client the way it is. So I will do that when hand on heart I feel that because to me the client comes first and for me that's education you know, whatever we need to do in education, we need to do. So we always add value into our programs. Like we, the training package says what we must do as a minimum, a minimal, we go over and above that. So Whereas this new, other colleges will just stick to the minimum. So this new program that you're setting up with your son, tell me about that. Okay, so as a result of working with a lot of trade background and I was invited into trades too by the way when I started the RTO we were doing business and I was doing frontline management and we were really well known for frontline management we did dream boards and vision boards in it in my course which is totally you know not what you traditionally do in those programs but I was never traditional so I was always innovating so um, we got invited into civil construction because of my frontline management Fame, <laughs> I guess you'd call it fame, because I never had to have a salesperson because it was all done word of mouth. That's how our client, anyway. Anyway, so they said, I will give you 400 students if you would do, if you would write the certificate for in civil construction supervision. And I thought, yeah, I'll do that. $4,000 a head. Yep, okay, I'll do that. I'll take on that project. Cool. So we did that, and as a result of doing Certificate 4 in, in Civil Construction Supervision, then, the, then everyone said, oh, this is fantastic. Can you do Cert 3? Can you do this? Can you do that? And that's how we became Civil Construction focused, and, that, and that now that's our major income. So I just thought I'd mention that. And also I just want to, I, I want to go back a couple of steps. So you said when you do the courses, you over, always go over and beyond. You don't just stick to the bare minimum like everybody else does. What do you do to go above and beyond? Well, we add value and that, and a lot of this has come about because of the, the trade people that we work with. They have come from a schooling system where they were told that they were dumb. They were felt like the poor cousins. They're always in trouble at school with the, in the principal's office normally. And that's because of their profile, usually. <laughs> and they weren't engaged appropriately. They weren't, they've got a great mind and, and their mind wasn't engaged at all. And they can't sit still for six hours a day, impossible. So all these reasons. And we have to turn that around. We have to undo all of that. We have to build up their self-esteem. And we do that with vision boards and we do that with, you know, the way we engage with them and, and we're very gentle with them in the beginning that they, you know, they can achieve whatever they want to achieve. And then when they've done their trade qualification, which is fantastic, and they, they you know, then we say, well, there's more. Do you, do you want to run your own business? 
you know, do you want, do you want to go to the next level? Well, we've got more programs for that. So we just don't have them there for one thing and then send them on. It, it, it's a funnel approach of taking them on their career journey. And, and But the biggest thing is undoing the negative stuff that's been done to them at school. It's terrible. Which brought me into wanting to work with schools because the people that we are getting who are coming into, not all of them, but a lot of them, who are coming into our trade programs are damaged from the school system. They're really damaged. So I thought, imagine what we could do with these people if they weren't damaged in the first place. How much more could they achieve? How much faster could they achieve it? So that's why I've been passionate about how we can work with schools, how we can change some of that. And a a lot of kids, and I'm not saying all kids, but a lot of kids who are the unruly ones, who are the ones that get into trouble, are often diagnosed as having ADHD. And in America in particular, 10% of the kids are on Ritalin, which is terrible. I want to change that because it's, it's not that they've got a behaviour problem. It's the school don't know how to handle them. School don't know how to engage them. So if we could change that, I would love to change that. And I believe we can change that. And we can change that through the profiling, through understanding where their genius areas are, et cetera, et cetera. So... I wanted to build a school, and I've been talking about this for years and years, and it's probably since I went to California, uh, because the the man that I mentioned before, he had had the experience of the ADHD experience at school. He was put in a special ed class, and he was on Ritalin for eight years. Completely stuffed him up, like terror in all sorts of ways, and it never should have. It was just that he's forty percent blaze and forty percent dynamite. That person cannot sit still for six hours a day. It's impossible, right? He's a start profile. So anyway, he was the, the key, like, we've got to do something. We've got to change this. So we, we were going to build a school and it was in America and it was so hard to, to get the money behind it to do that and, you know, to find the right location and, and it's one location, and that kept coming back to me. It's one location. So then I came back here and I thought, oh, it'd be easier to start in Queensland because I've already got an RTO. How hard could it be to set up a school? <laughs> okay, very hard. Um, and you've got to have everything in place before you can even start. So you've got to have an investor before you can start. You know, and you need a lot of money behind you to do it. And, and again, it's one location. So I could, I could impact maybe 1,000 kids a year, let's say, if it's a big school, it's a thousand kids a year. Well, that's that's great, but it's only a thousand kids a year. And this change in education needs to happen globally, especially in the Western world, particularly in the Western world. So, how can we do that? So then, Damien, my son, who's a high school teacher, we would often have these conversations, and he was on all on board. Yes, mummy. Let's build a school, let's do this. And we kept talking, we kept talking. And while we've been talking, time's been ticking along and now he's he's just become a head of department for the junior school. So he's learning all these skills as we're having these conversations as well. So it's all divinely orchestrated, I believe, right? So now, and then, and then COVID hit. And then I thought, wow, we're having to put all lots of things online in our college 
what if we had an online school and what if that school wasn't a school for kids so much but was a school for principals and teachers, was a school to change the system, was a school to change all the schools that already exist because then our impact could be a lot bigger. So out of all of that, and that only happened in COVID, so out of all of that, that's, that's what I've decided we're going to do. And we'll also have programs for kids that the schools could plug into as well. So that way we're looking at the whole system and we're, we're shifting the system, not just one school. And they can do it for their professional development, you know. So schools get a, a budget for that, and, you know, so it, it would fit in really well and it would all be online so we could go globally. So that's what we're working on. And the first program we've decided we'll work on, which will be a fairly easy one to do, because I want him to have this head of department experience because that would be really helpful and then come into our school full time. So while that's happening, we're going to develop a grade 11 and 12 entrepreneurship program because that's something else that's missing in schools is that they're only taught two pathways, university or trade. But there's a whole thing out there about owning your own business. And that piece is completely missing. So imagine if we work with grade 11 and 12 kids and, and teach them that there's actually another way. You could have an Amazon business. You could have a, like, there, there's so much out there. There's so much that they could do as kids while they're at school. Why do kids have to go and get a part-time job? Why couldn't they do a side hustle instead? We'll teach them a lot more as well about the world. So that's what we're working on a grade 11 and 12 entrepreneurship program and we'll attach it to a certificate three in micro business. So it'll be through IPS, the college. It'd be pretty cool. I think that's amazing because I, I get really cross when, uni- when somebody goes to university and they said they've done business studies, but they actually know nothing about running a business. It's actually no. about working in a management position in a big corporation. They couldn't run a business. They don't know how to start it up. They don't know how to do the books. They don't know how to do anything. It is not business management or business studies as far as I'm concerned. It's not and, nothing to do with the business. <laughs> and not only that, they don't know how to write emails. They don't know how to answer the phone. They don't know how to take a message. They don't know any of that. That's not, that's not covered either. So there needs to be a program that they do, I believe, when they've completed their degree to help that transition into the real world. Because they're into, and it's not their fault, it's, it's how universities are set up. It's, they're taught the theory, but they're not taught to implement it. And that's why I love vocational education, because it's very hands-on. It is about the real world, and it is about getting a vocational outcome, you know. So it is all about the implementation, and that's why I love it, because it really does empower people. That's, that's why I'm passionate about it. That's why I've been involved with it all these years because it, it gives them something that will actually feed them. And it's also creative at the same time because that's a missing in, you know, because yeah. if you go and you do a creative degree, it, everybody sees it as a waste of time because it doesn't lead to anything where you can get a job. So even yeah. university is about just learning something in order to make you a better employee. It's not about building a business or creating an income for yourself. 
It's nothing no. about innovation. No. Nothing no. about innovation. Until you become, until you've got your PhD and then you can write papers. <laughs> I wasn't doing a PhD. I was actually doing a doctorate, a doctorate of education and a doctorate adds to the practice because I'm all, I'm all practical, right? A doctorate adds to the practice and a PhD adds to the theory. And I'm all about implementation and practical. So that's why I was doing the doctorate. Makes sense to me. So I want to go back to the ADHD and Ritalin thing because my eldest son was in exactly that position where the teachers, when he was in grade one and two, the teachers are going, we think he's got ADHD. And I'm going, don't you dare diagnose my child and label him with something like that. Yeah. And I, anyway, he ended up halfway through year two, I took him to a Montessori school and it was a traditional Montessori school and he just flourished there. He just adored it. Yeah. He went back into the mainstream education because we moved house and, and a few things happened. But he needed that time to understand how he works, you know, the way his brain works. And when you said that about 10% of American kids being on Ritalin, oh, and that was the other thing I was going to say. I wrote an article online a couple of years ago about how I enjoy moving house every couple of years. And, you know, it changes the energy and I like the new experience, blah, blah, blah. And I like going through the whole change thing. And this psychologist wrote this long comment in response to my article, diagnosing me with ADHD and telling me what to go to my doctor and which drug to go to my doctor and ask for, because I would be much happier if I was just more normal. This is- you're a creator, so you're an innovator. So that's why you like to change. Because creators get bored very easily and we like new challenges and new starts, new beginnings. And having a new house is a new beginning. Mm. So it makes so, sense that a, you would like to do that as a creator. Yeah, it does. And, and that's what I said. I said, this is just about me. I've got to try new things. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, big house on the canal, tick. House on a property, tick living in an apartment tick you know I'm just going to try all these different things there's nothing wrong I'm just it's an experience for me but that many children being on Ritalin that's killing off the creativity in the society it does does. and it also stops them up as well because he because in this situation he was put on the Ritalin they also put him in special ed class so he then had no friends, no mainstream friends, and he had no friends for eight years at, at school. And he ended up getting into the wrong crowd and he started doing graffiti and he ended up in, in juvenile detention for 18 months. So it was, there was a spiral that happened because of that. Yeah. So anyway, I think, it, I think there's a lot to change. I think there's a lot. And I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that nobody needs medication. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying I think a lot have been misdiagnosed and probably don't need the medication. Some will, but certainly not 10% of a population. To me, it was that psychologist comment about you will be more normal 
that was I just went uh, and what is what is normal and is that coming from someone who's steel who doesn't want change who loves to have everything the same who would start now my son is steel he's 68 percent steel my eldest son right and he's just joined the government and the first comment he said to me is mum I could be in there for the next 20 years and me as a creator I'm thinking oh hell kill me now I couldn't stand to do anything for 20 years, right? But for him, that's certainty and they need certainty. They need that, you know, if you hadn't, if my son was your son and you and you moved around like that all the time, he would be in anxiety all the time because he hates change. But we're all different. And if you understand that about each of us, you can accommodate, you can allow, you can... Yeah, you know, there's no, there's no arguments. There's no, oh, why aren't you more like me? Then none of that. That all disappears. And then we understand the dynamics of the family. We understand, you know, you understand so much on so many levels. It's awesome. And I still, I'm still learning. I'm still learning things or having those aha moments. And that's why, as a creator, as a creator, I love that because if I'm doing a program. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> Just rolled your eyes. I'm exactly the same. So I, I have found this framework where I can never get bored. I never can because there's always something else that I'm finding. Oh, that's because of that and that's because of that. And so it's sparking me all the time. And when I'm in the room with the, the people, things are coming up all the time and sparking me as well. So I can never get bored with it. I can never, ever get bored of it. That's another reason I chose it because I know what I'm like and I know that if I'm not challenged and inspired and doing something of significance, creators need to have significance in what they're working on to stay engaged with it. Blaze need to have variety to stay engaged. Tempo needs to have connection to stay engaged and steel needs to have certainty to stay engaged. We're all different. The children's profile, how old are they when they take that? What ages is that aimed at? From 8 to 15. Kids, you know, the teenagers who have never had any work experience, they need to right. do the, the child tool. Right. I won't be able okay. to the other one, the questions. So, yeah, from, from 8. From 7, their personalities are sort of set it's from 7 years old. So that's why I say 8 years old and up. And I remember, like, I remember when I was a little kid and my mum would say things about me, like um, I started ballet, loved it, but they didn't have the shoes in my size, so I didn't go back. And, like, and then mum would say, oh, well, we're not going to get you to start that because we know you won't finish it. Well, yeah, that's a that's typical creator. I'll start it, but I won't finish, you know. Um, and the significance to me to do ballet were the ballet shoes, the pink satin ballet shoes. For me, at five years old, that was the significance. I wanted those ballet shoes, and when they didn't have them in my size, I didn't want to go. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing you can unravel. That's the sort of thing you can really understand, you know. So, yeah, those traits are in you from very, very a very young age, and they don't change. They stay there. They really do stay there. And the same with my boys, you know, my the high school teacher, he's all he's a supporter, so he's all about people. He's all about like when when 
um, he'd bring his friends home. He'd always have a house full of friends. And on Sunday morning, I never knew how many I'd have for breakfast because they all stayed at night. But my other son, he would be on the computer all the time and I would worry about him because he was so insular. But he was actually playing games with all of his mates on the computer. So they were just showing up in a, in a different way. They just engage in a different way. And Damien had lots of people around him. Christopher had select people around him, extrovert, introvert, like all of, all of that. But it's all, it's all explainable from the energies that show up within, within us. I think it's fascinating. And yeah, my father was the creator and my mother was an accumulator. I didn't know it at the time, but dad was always, he was the entrepreneur. He was the one and she'd always say, you just like your father? Yes, I was because we were both creators, <laughs> right? And mum would be the one always trying to pull him back down to earth. She'd be trying to, he wanted to be the eagle and fly and she would pull him back down all the time. He got an opportunity to go to New York with Travel Lodge Australia, mum wouldn't let him go. We, had to, we would have to move, to move to New York. She was so fearful of that because she's tempo and steel, so she's so fearful of the change, not the unknown and everything else. That was way, way too out of her comfort zone and she wouldn't allow it. It's interesting, hey? Mm, it's fascinating. And we've actually been talking for an hour. So it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that cool. was really, really fascinating. I would like one of those kids' profiles for Keely because I think that would be useful for her. Um, yeah, it's really great to guide them in their career as well. Like it's awesome for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and subject selection. Well, she's halfway through year 11, so she's, she's kind of got the subject sorted. But it's what she's going to do from here on in because she was so happy in Colombia and so energised because it was just about creating yeah. on all sorts of levels, you know, yeah. and I, I watched it die when she got back. She's probably a creator. I'll just say one more thing, if that's okay. I helped um, one of my salespeople's daughters. She was in grade 12 and she was having a lot of trouble with maths she wanted to get into the navy and you got to do maths to get into the navy right and she was she was like almost suicidal over this it, it was really bad so i did a debrief with her now she turned out to be a supporter profile which is a great they're, they're great people leaders and she wanted to be a leader in the navy you know she wanted to be an officer in the navy and so that was perfectly in alignment with the supporter profile what she wanted but to get there she had to go through maths so when we went through her profile and I explained to her she'll never be good at maths because her steel was very low I said it will never be your strength however you know you've only got to do it for a short period of time and then you can forget about it because once you get into the navy you won't you won't have the issue that you're having right now at school because if you do have any maths it's going to be relevant to the job you know what I mean like school's maths is not relevant to anything usually so anyway so just by giving her that information and giving her permission to know that it was okay that she wasn't good at maths, she then asked her parents to get a tutor to help her with maths because she then understood that she needed extra help. She needed to put extra focus and extra time onto it because it's not her strength and it never would be her strength. And she was okay to accept that. And they, they felt wonderful because... They could then help her and then that suicidal stuff all disappeared 
because she knew it wasn't because she was dumb, because she was this, because she was, which she was beating herself up inside over. So, you know, that to me, that was such, that was such a wonderful experience for me to go through to, to be able to free her to be her and to understand why she's like that. And if we did that to all the kids, imagine the difference there'd be. That was so cool. That was cool. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Come and join us in our new Facebook group, the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood group, where we'll discuss what happened in this podcast and all the other things that have got to do with midlife. I'll see you there.